um, when I was a pastor down in Tennessee, people would come up to me and they'd be like, I love to hear you pray. And uh, I'm getting some really bad hum here, so let me turn that off. Um, they'd be like, I love hearing you pray. And I was hosting these prayer services where I gathered college students and we would pray for six hours at a time. And um, I was all about prayer. Now, I don't say any of that to brag, like, wow, man, I'm so amazing. But rather, I wanted to mention that to emphasize how far my prayer life has fallen from there. Like, if you go back eight years ago, I'm down in Tennessee, and I'd be like, I love prayer. I pray all the time. And if I look back then, and if I was like, my prayer life is like level 70, now it feels like my prayer life is back at level one. Anybody? Maybe you feel the same. And I'm sharing this for several reasons. First, to encourage you, if you struggle to pray, if you're watching online and you're here and you're like, I hate praying, I don't want to do it, I don't do it. If you find it boring or disconnected, or you find like you pray and you feel more empty afterwards, I'm there too. You're not alone. The pastor feels that way. Second, I want to emphasize that with any spiritual discipline, you don't one day arrive and it's always easy from then on out. You don't reach a day where you're like, man, I got this thing down. I don't have to try anymore. It just comes naturally. I don't have to work at it. Sometimes you progress, you make progress, and sometimes you regress. There's an ebb and flow to our mastery of prayer throughout our lives. You're not going to reach a moment one day where you're like, oh, man, that sounds really bad with my throat. Oh, you know, where you're like, I have arrived and now... I just have prayer down, and I just naturally pray all the time, and it's not a struggle, or there's no work to it. It's always something we're going to have to work on. There's moments where it seems more natural, and moments where you have to keep doing it even though it feels unnatural. Third, I share this because I want to recapture my love of prayer. There was a time in my life where I felt like talking to God felt natural, it felt easy, and it gave me the strength and the power to walk through life, and I don't feel like I have that anymore. I want to recapture that, and I want to instill a deep appreciation for prayer in you. I want it to be something that you can go to and find solace from anxiety. I want it to be a place you go to and find strength for your day and for your life. And so we're in a new series that I am calling Teach Us to Pray. And for the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about prayer. We're going to be very practical. We're going to talk about how to do it, ways to build disciplines of prayer into your life. And I hope that it gives you and I a new, deeper appreciation for talking to God. Prayer is in some ways the most basic of the Christian disciplines. You know, a kid can pray. Sometimes they pray for crazy things. Um, I remember that uh, growing up, I always had this friend, and anytime us children were praying or were asked to pray, she would go on and on praying for every animal in the world that she knew was endangered, which is great, but really annoying when you're just trying to eat, you know? Um, an atheist can pray. It doesn't take any training to shout to heaven, and yet prayer is a discipline that we never truly master. The people I know who are great people of prayer they're not like, hey, I've got this whole thing figured out. They're constantly learning. They're constantly experiencing new things. As long as we are living, we will continue to learn from prayer, and we must continue to work at it. So why do I think my prayer life has collapsed so much? You can think about this personally if you feel like your prayer life is kind of rocky. Um, I think there's a host of reasons. I wrote down several over the last few months as I was preparing for this series. Like, why does praying feel so hard for me? 
I think there was a lot of naivety in my prayers in my early 20s. I would say my prayer life was robust, but I really didn't have any problems. So my prayers were generally very shallow and very flowery. I used a lot of big words, and people thought that meant that I had a really great prayer life. But really, it just meant that I liked showing off. In my 30s, I got married, and loving someone doubles your joys, but it also compounds your sorrows. We got pregnant, and we prayed for our baby to live, and we lost that baby. We started a church, and in my pride, if you go back six years ago and talk to me, in my pride, I prayed for Horizon to be huge and for me to be famous. Yeah, I was a, a little bit of a jerk. Um, I walked all over these communities of Bryn Mawr and Haverford and Ardmore and Havertown, praying for God to move, and when he moved, to make me a little bit famous, too, along with it, you know? My prayers were pretty selfish. And Horizon today endures, but we're not on the front page of the fastest-growing churches in America. Some Sundays, we have five people here, you know? Um, we prayed to be parents for 10 years, and I started to wonder, does prayer do anything at all? Maybe you've thought about that. And I really think all these factors came together, and slowly I just lost more and more faith in prayer, and I started to emphasize it less and less in my life. Somewhere between my 20s and today at 40, life got hard and real, and prayer didn't seem to keep up. And unconsciously, at least at first, I began to think, why am I talking to God if talking to him isn't going to make my life any easier or any better? Maybe you've thought something like that. Maybe you're scared to admit that you've thought something like that. This is a safe place. I mean, after all, read the Psalms. We're in good company. The psalmists are like, God, where are you? I cried out to you, and you're not there. The Psalms make me feel heard. Um, the, my prayer life was primarily based around getting God to give me what I wanted. And when it felt like that wasn't happening, I almost abandoned speaking with him altogether. And then, of course, the pandemic came in 2020. And I was furloughed, and we had services online. And I remember thinking, this would be a great time to pray. I'm stuck at home. I have nothing else to do. I should dig in and really begin to pray. But somehow, all the anxiety and the disorder of that time made prayer feel even harder. I got sick with COVID during that time, and it was hard to even put two thoughts together sometimes, let alone pray. And soon, old habits changed, and new habits formed, and now prayer feels like an exercise that makes my spiritual muscles ache after only a few minutes. I think back to that person I was in my 20s when I was holding six-hour prayer services, and I think, gosh, I pray for six minutes, and it feels like an eternity. Like, I don't know how I did it. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can't right now, but one day you will. So what do we do? If your prayer life feels like mine, what do we do? I think as good apprentices, we must go to our master Jesus and we ask, will you teach us to pray? We're in Luke chapter 11 this morning, starting in verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this, our father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Lead us not into temptation. 
And Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have no food to offer him. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The first apprentices of Jesus's way of life looked at how he loved his enemies, how he stood up for injustice, how he loved people different than him, and how he placed the needs of others before himself. They looked at all that and realized that Jesus had a supernatural strength that came from a relationship outside of this world. We cannot live the life of a student of how Jesus lived and loved without following his example of prayer. We won't have the strength to live like he lived and love like he loved unless we have the same relationship that he had with his father. There are two places where Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father Prayer. It's in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, and the shorter version, which we read today in Luke. Luke records Jesus praying more than any of the other gospel writers. Luke has Jesus praying everywhere, privately, publicly, on mountains, in boats, on streets. They needed taught, his disciples needed taught how um, to pray because they saw him live and knew that his deep strength came from prayer. They needed taught because they saw him pray and knew that their prayer life was very different from their own. It's very different from my own and probably your own. When we look at Jesus praying, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I want to learn from you. I want to have that kind of prayer life. I want to, and you know, before he goes to the cross, he stops in a garden and prays. If I knew I was going to cross the next day, I'd be like, I'm going to binge Netflix hard, you know, or I'm going to find some kind of substance to help me forget. Like, you know, like that's not what Jesus did. He went to prayer because it was his deepest source of joy and contentment and solace when he was facing trouble. Prayer is terrifying because it means sitting still and silent long enough for us to remember our pains and face our burdens instead of distracting away the chaos. I don't know about you, but when I sit down to pray, my mind doesn't go to God is holy and high and lifted up. I think about this could go wrong. This has gone wrong. This is going wrong. And I think about all the trouble and chaos that I've been trying to push down and shove down and avoid. Many times when I pray for peace, often stopping to pray and ask for peace feels like I'm unleashing the storm I've been running from all week. Many of us in the modern world are treating our low-grade anxiety by entertaining ourselves into distraction or rushing about so fast that we never have to slow down to face the grief that is chasing us. And prayer forces us to stop and to face the giant that we don't want to face before we can speak to our God who's bigger than our giant. So some of us, myself included, have just decided it's easier not to pray if I'm going to pray, I'm going to have to deal with some stuff. And so if you're like me, you do some extra Bible reading because that's something that comes easy. Or you do some extra good deeds because maybe that's the way you're wired. Or you do some extra spiritual disciplines because prayer is too hard. 
It brings up too much negative stuff. But the reality is we cannot live the Christian life without prayer. We do not have the strength without coming to God over and over and over again and asking for grace. None of the chores of the faith are what it is really about. He wants to be with us, and he wants us to be with him, and he wants us to want to be with him. Ronald Roheiser says this, Without prayer, we will, either, we will always be either too full of ourselves or too empty of energy. We will either be inflated or depressed. I've met too many Christians who are so full of themselves that I know they do not pray. I've met so many Christians who are so discouraged that I know they do not pray. And over the last few years, I have been both. I've been both sides of that spectrum, spectrum because of my lack of prayer. So what would Jesus say to us? This is what Jesus said to his disciples. When you pray, say this. Now the evangelical churches I grew up in would always, anytime these verses came up, they would mention, this is not a formula for prayer. Or this is a formula for prayer, not a prayer to recite. And they kind of looked down their noses at the Catholics who repeated prayers over and over again. But I think Jesus wanted his followers to repeat this prayer. Literally, that's what he said. He's like, when you pray, say this. He doesn't say, say something like this. He says, say this. He wants us to learn it and use it as a springboard. Now, Protestants and evangelicals stressed that prayer was never intended to be recited. In fact, one of my commentaries on the Gospels that I read almost every single week when I, uh, before I preach, um, I love this commentary. I go to it constantly. Um, it says, this is a model of prayer, not a model prayer, not to be recited. And I think this is just an overreaction to the Catholic tra tradition of using the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father as a punishment or as a penance. Anybody grow up in Catholic church or Catholic school, and it's like you did something wrong and you had to write out the Our, Our Father like a hundred times, or you had to recite it a hundred times. Um, I think as an overreaction, Protestants and evangelicals are like, don't recite this passage of scripture. Like, it's not meant for that. I think it's always a good thing to pray scripture, and I think Jesus intended this prayer as a way to jumpstart our prayers. Um, our daughter has a nighttime routine, rituals that help prepare her body and mind for sleep. I think God, Jesus, gave us a prayer to help our bodies, minds, and spirits get ready to talk to God. Now, this isn't magical, like you have to say the right words in the right order. Not every prayer has to start this way. But I think Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived. Not just the best man, you know, the most godly man. He was the smartest. And modern science tells us that he was probably onto something. Memorization serves as a workout for the brain, training it to be quick and agile and focused. The brain is like a muscle that requires exercise for optimal functioning. Besides being a mental workout, memorization teaches the mind to remain focused when dealing with unpleasant tasks. Studies have shown that repeating something you have memorized increases neuroplasticity in the brain. Now, neuroplasticity is above my pay grade, um, but here's my quick overview of it, okay? If you really want to understand it, next time Keedy's here, ask him. He will be able to describe it better. As I understand it, neuroplasticity is the ability of neural networks in your brain to change through growth and reorganization. It is when the brain is wired to function in some way that differs from how it previously functioned. Neural pathways are the connections in your brain. Think of them as your brain's wiring. As we get older, our brains want to rely on existing neural pathways rather than creating new ones. 
Over time, the neural pathways in your brain harden, making you less open to try new things or accept new ways of thinking. We literally get stuck in our ways because our brains are like, it's kind of like if you dig a channel and water starts to flow down it, over time more and more water flows down it and the channel gets deeper and deeper and it's gonna be harder and harder to divert that water a different way. If you're constantly going to an anxious thought over and over and over and over again, you're building this deep, uh, this deep path where anxiety just naturally flows and pretty soon it's a roaring river because you've be built this deep channel. And what they found is memorizing something and then reciting something that you've memorized, bringing it back to your mind, actually makes your brain more pliable, and those things that are really set are more open to change. Children's brains are very pliable, able to learn new things and embrace new experiences easily. Um, our daughter already knows more languages than I do. She speaks sign language, English, she's learning Spanish, mom's teaching her like every language on the planet, she's a genius. I barely know my first language. Like, I, my brain is, it needs to be more pliable. Babies develop about one million new neural connections every second, but as we get older, we develop less and less because we start to rely on the ones we already have. Now, neuroplasticity wasn't discovered until the 1950s, so Jesus was either a genius or God, or he got really lucky, but he's suggesting that memorizing something and reciting something you memorized opens up your brain to change something that we now know from science that it does. Jesus knew that praying could be hard, that it would bring up some stuff internally for us, and he taught them a prayer to pray to help get their minds ready, both to face challenging things and then to be changed by an encounter with God. Now, in other series, I've picked apart these verses and discussed them. I give you a worksheet out there in your seat that has some of my thoughts on the passage about the Lord's Prayer. You can work through it on your own if you want. But each message in this series, there's going to be some homework to take home and do during the week. Your homework for this week is to memorize the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer, whatever you want to call it, and to pray it each day this week. Set a time where you're going to pray each day and start your prayer each day with this prayer. Memorize it. If you already know it, memorize it in a new translation to force your brain to be a little bit more um, pliable instead of like relying on what's already there. And then start your prayers by reciting it. Here's the message version. Um, this is a version I don't have memorized. I have it memorized in a different version. Father, reveal who you are, set the world right, keep us alive with three square meals, keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others like you, keep us safe from ourselves and from the devil. Just memorize that prayer in whatever version you want and start your prayers this week with it. That's not your whole prayer. That's just a way to activate your brain, to make it flexible, make it willing to face change and um, prepare yourself to talk to God. So then Jesus begins to teach about prayer to his disciples. He gives them this prayer to start out their prayers. And then he tells two stories, one about a neighbor and one about a father. The first one about the neighbor is that essentially we don't have to beg God to listen to us. He is eager and ready to open the doors and let us come in. Um, if in the middle of the night, Kevin showed up at my house and started beating on my door, and I was like, you're going to wake our daughter up quiet, quiet down. And he's like, no, I won't go away till you give me bread. I'm going to give him bread just to get rid of him, right? That's what the story says. Um, and what Jesus says is God's not like that. 
If you come and knock on his door in the middle of the night, he's not just trying to get rid of you. He's eager to open the door and let us come in. If we failed him, if we're drunk on our own success, if we're desperate, if we haven't prayed in a long time, if we've never prayed, if we don't have to beat on the door, he opens it when he sees us coming, he puts the kettle on, he's eager for a chat. Now, I was taught growing up to say nice things about God in prayer, as if he was a human king that needed his ego massaged. As I grow older and read wider, I think this is not a bad thing. We'll talk more about it next week, but it's probably unhelpful for a lot of us. I spend so much time trying to think about fluff to say to God about God, um, but I have been increasingly convinced that when it comes to prayer, we should, in the words of Rollheiser again, lift our whole minds and heart to God. That means the good and the bad, the ugly and the beautiful. If you struggle to know what to say to God, just bring to him your whole self. This means to share with God every part of ourselves. He knows it anyways. It's not like we can trick him and come in and be like, I got everything all together, God. I'm all cleaned up. Bring him your anger. Bring him your disappointment. Bring him your tiredness. Bring him your boredom. Bring him your lust. Bring him your selfishness. Let him know what you are feeling without shame. He doesn't blush. He isn't surprised. He knows you better than you know yourself. Prayer is about being transparent with a loving father whose love never changes no matter what we say or what we admit or what we have done. We come to him and bring the worst of ourselves, and he always shares the best of himself back with us. That's the gospel. That's the good news, that the coming kingdom doesn't depend on how good we are, but on how good Jesus is to us. In verse 9, in the original Greek, um, let's just go back and look at verse 9 here. Here's what verse 9 says. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Well, actually in the Greek, it has, uh, it says to keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. It's not the idea of doing it once, but to do it continually, constantly, without end. You keep seeking and you will find what you're looking for. Keep knocking and the door will be open. I think this is critical in our culture of instant streaming and one day Amazon delivery and immediate gratification. Prayer requires continual effort in the same direction. Sometimes I talk to people and they're like, hey, I've tried this spiritual discipline. It didn't really do anything for me. I'm going back to what I always did. Like, uh, they're not intended to be one-time activities. The best benefits of prayer are not from praying three hours one time a year, but thinking and thinking yourself somehow spiritual because of that. Prayer is about showing up over and over again faithfully every day for the rest of your life. Often I pray and I think, That did nothing. Nothing changed in me. Nothing changed in my world. That was a waste of time. I don't feel any different. Nothing magically happened. There wasn't like magical bells going off or, you know, like this music start playing and I'm like, yes, I've hit the sweet spot. Sometimes I even feel worse after prayer. I pray about all this junk in me, all this junk around me. And I'm like, well, now I'm depressed. Thanks a lot, prayer. I think what, (coughs) excuse me. I think what Jesus is saying is, keep showing up, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep meeting with my Father, keep sitting down for tea and a chat, never stop coming back. It is the persistent person in prayer who finds the deepest benefits of it. When you're tired and busy, when you're sick, keep showing up. 
When your prayers aren't answered and everything is falling apart, keep showing up. When you're like, I don't even know why I'm talking to you, God. Nothing's going right. I don't even know if I want to believe in you anymore. Keep showing up. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. And you'll keep finding. The final story is about a dad. And man, these stories in the Bible that I used to read, and I'd be like, oh, that's nice. Suddenly you become a dad, and it's like this story hits like 3,000 times harder. Um, because my daughter is always asking for things. In this story, Jesus uses some examples of things like, if a kid asked for a food, would you give them a poisonous snake or a scorpion? And the answer is obviously not. Um, a dad would not give their child something harmful when they ask for something healthy. When my daughter asks for, all the time she's like, milk, get me milk, sometimes in the middle of the night when I would like to be sleeping. And uh, it's 4 a.m. and she's like, milk, I need milk. Daddy, daddy. And mom sleeps with headphones because daddy snores so loudly. And so daddy's the only one who hears her and she knows that. So she's shouting to the monitor, daddy, daddy, get me milk, get me milk. And do I, in the middle of the night, say, you know what? I'm going to get you a grizzly bear. No, I don't do that. That's what Jesus is saying. What do I do? When I'm tired, I'm worn down. I love this little person so much. I would go out of my way. I would inconvenience myself. I would make myself tired. I would hurt my own health in order to bring her something good that she wants, that she needs. And what Jesus is saying is, God the Father is a better dad than you are, Dad. Than you are, Alex. In fact, in comparison, you are a downright bad dad compared to what a good father God is. I love my daughter. I would literally do anything for her. And as much as I love her, God loves me more. God loves you more. Think about the best human father you can. I always imagine some 90s sitcom dad. You know, the 90s sitcoms dad were really good. They were always so wise. You could go to them with any problem. They instantly had the solution and everything was wrapped up in 30 minutes. Think about the best dad, whether real or fictional. And um, God the Father is a better dad than that. God the Father loves his kids. He loves you more than that fictional 90s sitcom dad loved his TV kids. God wants to hear about your trash. He wants to hear about your anger. He wants to hear about your problems. He wants to hear about your brokenness. And you know what he responds to you with? Not disappointment, not anger, with love. No matter what my daughter does with her life, I will always love her. She will always be my daughter. My love is never up for question. And God's a much better dad than I am. Now, growing up in churches, I often had anxiety about talking to God and asking for things because people would say idiotic stuff like, be careful what you ask God for. He might just give it to you. And um, I had one small group leader in college who was like, I asked God for patience one time. You should never do that because I had a car accident and I was laying out on the street waiting for life flight to come and save me and I was bleeding out on the pavement. And he's like, I'll never ask God for patience ever again. That's not how God works, okay? Um, God is a good father. When you ask for patience, he doesn't give you a car accident. When you ask for an egg, he doesn't give you a scorpion. You don't have to be anxious when you take stuff to God like, oh no, I asked God for it now. He's going to really hit me below the belt, you know. Oh no, God knows about this now. He's really going to punish me because of it. Sometimes we ask for something dangerous. 
Sometimes we ask for something that would harm us spiritually or physically or mentally, and he says no. We don't always know why, but know this. He's not going to send something evil into your life because he doesn't give scorpions. He doesn't give snakes. He sends love. Our Father is a loving Father, eager to speak with you, throwing open the doors of his throne room to sit down with his children whenever they want. We don't get, you know, it's not like you can only pray to him at 1 p.m. or 1 a.m., you know, those are the only times. Anytime you want to speak to God, he is eager to listen to you. He is eager to hear from you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to bring the worst of yourself, and what he's going to return is the best of himself. And you say, Alex, when I pray, I feel nothing. It feels dead. And I say, keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. Jesus wants to teach us to pray. The question is, are we willing to learn? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you taught your disciples to pray. We're so grateful that they remembered it and they wrote it down and they said, hey, this is important. We need to remember this. We need to tell people thousands of years later who are still trying to live and love like Jesus what it looks like to pray. God, forgive me for letting my prayer life become so lax, so like just a forgotten part of my spirituality. Lord, may I gain a new sense of hunger and desire to be with you and to become like you, to spend time in your presence, to listen to you, to share with you, and to talk about together what we're doing in the world. God, I pray that you will instill in everyone here, everyone listening online, a deep longing to know you and to be with you and to speak with you. God, I know you're putting the kettle on, you're opening the door, you're ready and willing for us to come rushing in and to share with you about what we're feeling and thinking and doing because you want to be with us. You want us to be with you and you want us to enjoy being together. I pray all these things like I believe Jesus the Christ would. Amen.